I have a feeling that's not going to be the last time that Declan gets behind the pulpit. <laughs> he sees Dad here every week, so why wouldn't he want to check it out? We'll have to get a stool behind here, though. It's great to be here this morning worshiping God together with you, and I hope that that uh, story, the video, helped whet your appetite for Christmas and what we are here to celebrate, why we are in the season of Advent preparing our hearts for celebrating and remembering what God has done coming into this world as a little baby. Uh, I hope that um, this morning from this message, it'll help prepare our hearts as, as it has mine preparing this message for Christmas once again to get ready to celebrate what he's done. I also just want to uh, uh, remind those of you who um, may have missed it in the announcements, this coming Saturday we have our uh, community men's breakfast. Uh, we invite all of the churches together. Uh, just men though, sorry ladies, this is just for the men. And we have a breakfast at 8 o'clock. We're hosting it in our church basement. Uh, 8 o'clock this coming Saturday. So mark it on your calendars. You won't want to miss it. Uh, it's going to be a great time of fellowship. And Daryl Hyde is going to be uh, sharing that morning. So you're not going to want to miss that. And it's going to be an excellent morning. So 8 o'clock this coming Saturday. And also, just for any senior youth, we are also this coming Saturday evening, we're going to be going to Barry and Nancy's. And we're going to be having a pool party there. So you're not going to want to miss that either. Just a couple of announcements for you. Would you now bow with me and let's spend a few moments in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each one who has come here this morning. Thank you that as we've gathered together as your people, you are here in the midst of us. You are here in our worship and in our song And thank you that by it, Lord, we are encouraged. We are drawn together by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the power that it has to change us. That as we hear it, as we receive it within our hearts, Lord, that you do your work through it by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that it would continue to do its work here in our hearts, even now this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the challenges that each one of us have received to follow you. And Lord, we just pray that as we seek to follow you, that you would help us. We cannot do this on our own. As we were reminded this morning in Sunday school, Lord, we just pray that you would fill our hearts with love. Because to do anything without love is, is nothing. It amounts to nothing. And so, Lord, as we gather and as we serve and as we worship, may our hearts be filled with love. We ask that you would fill us, Lord. And now I pray, Lord, that you would intercede on those who are even now in our our church family who are struggling, Lord, with illness, we pray that you would have your hand on them, that you would heal them, Lord, according to your will. We pray, Lord, whatever this is, whatever struggles there are, we ask that you would undertake for them. Lord, I thank you for how you are working in people's lives and even now drawing people, preparing the way for people to receive you. And so, Father, we pray that we would have a part in that, that as you are calling people to once again celebrate Christmas, You desire for people to put their faith in you. And I know, Lord, that you have put us in a position to to be used to that end. And so we pray that you would help us to sing the Christmas song, to, to share the message that you came into this world to save sinners. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. And we pray that as we enter your word now, you would speak to us again. Put a fresh song in our heart, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. She felt the baby kick, and she smiled as once again 
she realized that this little life growing within her was soon to be born. She experienced that inner joy and satisfaction that only an expectant mother can ever truly know. And as she thought of this, she began, as some moms do, speaking to the child. You're going to be a strong one, my boy, and you'll need to be for what's to come. Elizabeth's voice trailed off as Zachariah entered the room. He had heard her talking and had that teasing twinkle in his eye. Don't look at me like that, Zachariah. You'd be talking to yourself, too, if you were living with a mute. A wide smile crossed Zachariah's face. And his mouth began to move as though he were laughing, but no sound came out. Many months had passed since priest Zechariah's fateful encounter with the angel Gabriel in the holy place of the temple. He had entered, being able to speak, but had reemerged completely mute, unable to speak or even utter a single sound. Immediately, everyone was aware that Zechariah had seen some sort of a vision, had experienced in some tangible way the power of God. He had come out and began making all sorts of gestures, crazy gestures with his hands like a mad game of charades. He had tried conveying to his fellow priests what he had experienced in the holy place, but it was to no avail. They simply could not understand him. They couldn't make sense of what he was trying to say. But still, everyone marveled and wondered what it could possibly mean. When Zechariah had arrived home at first, Elizabeth just couldn't believe it. it. It seemed so ironic to her. Her husband? Speechless? The one who would seemingly never stop talking? Especially if you got him started on the law of Moses. Well, you may as well pull up a chair. You're going to be there a while. She was soon convinced, however, that it was true. A man who loved to talk as much as Zachariah could not remain silent for so long if he had a choice. And she soon realized that something else about him had changed as well. He wasn't acting like the old man anymore. Sure, the hair was still white and the wrinkles were still there on his face, but something had changed. There was a spring in his step, a glow in his eyes that she hadn't seen in years, and she soon discovered why. On the writing tablet, he had written the words, We are going to have a son. His name is John. That had already been nine months ago now. And as Elizabeth reflected back on that day and all that had transpired since then, she couldn't help but smile back at her husband. In fact, she couldn't remember a time where they had smiled so much. Not since their wedding day could she remember when their their lives had been so full of joy and hope for the future. They were having a son. After years of being barren and childless, God was giving them a child, a special child in their old age, but not just any child. This child was to be a prophet, one who would be there to prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah. And Zechariah continued to smile at Elizabeth when suddenly Elizabeth's expression changed. Zechariah, it's time. The baby is coming. Well, the ensuing hours had seemed like an eternity as Zechariah waited, But when he finally held his newborn son in his arms, everything else was instantly forgotten. The years of childlessness, with all of the wondering, the waiting, the tears, the doubt, it all vanished. As he held that tiny, wrinkly, red-faced bundle in his arms for the first time, 
Zechariah knew that he was holding a tangible symbol of God's graciousness towards them. God had indeed heard his prayer. And it was now eight days later. The important time had come to welcome their son into the covenant of Abraham through the act of circumcision. It was also the day that they would give him his name. And one of, Elizabeth, one of Elizabeth's relatives spoke up, Zechariah Jr., after his father. That seems like a fitting name. And a burst of agreement from all of the other relatives and friends assembled echoed their approval. But with a firm voice, Elizabeth spoke up, No, he is to be called John. And they couldn't believe it. But there's no one among your relatives who has that name. We'd better double-check with Zechariah. And there was a buzz of anticipation as everyone gathered around him. Would he agree with Elizabeth? And Zechariah motioned for a writing tablet. Hunching over it so no one could see what he was writing, he finished and then slowly held up the tablet for everyone to see. A collective gasp of astonishment rippled through the crowd as they read the words written in big, bold letters. His name is John. And then something happened that was even more surprising and shocking. Like a thunderclap on a sunny day, Zacharias spoke. His name is John. And for the first time in nine months, his voice was there. He could speak again. Everyone was shocked, and Zechariah spontaneously began to praise God. Nine months of silence of what had welled up within his heart of thankfulness to God was finally unleashed in a torrent of praise as Zechariah filled the air with the sound of his rejoicing. And everyone could not believe what they were just seeing, and news quickly spread through the town and through the countryside. People were astonished. What could this possibly mean? And what kind of child is this going to be? Zechariah could not have been silent, even if he had tried to, for he had been touched by God. Have you ever been touched by God? Has God worked in your life in some powerful way that spontaneously you could do nothing but praise the Lord? You couldn't help yourself. Even if someone tried to silence you, you had to praise him. This is what happened to Zechariah as we recount the story from Luke chapter 1. Zechariah was so powerfully touched by God, having been given a child in his old age, then his doubt, having him silenced for all of that time and yet knowing in his heart that the promise was true, and finally having the ability to speak again, he had nothing but praise for God. Have you ever experienced something like that where God worked in your life? I suspect that many of you have had an experience like that. But what about right now? Are you still praising God for his touch in your life? Are you still filling the air with the sound of your rejoicing in God's goodness for you? What if it even happened many years ago where God worked in your life in some powerful way? Are you still praising him today, years later, for what he's done? You see, it's easy and natural to sing God's praises and to tell other people about what he's done for you when it's just happened, when it's fresh on your mind. But as time passes and excitement fades, 
our praise to God and sharing it with others tends to fade with it. And too often, this is what happens to us at Christmas time. As we enter the Advent season, we enter and again we put up the decorations and we turn on the Christmas carols, but our hearts are not truly singing along. They're not rejoicing because it's become a ho-hum attitude of, here we go again. Perhaps as a child there was a time where you were struck with the wonder and awe of Christmas. The message that God would send his only son into the world as a helpless baby. To come as a servant. To die in the place of sinners. For you and for me. But as each Christmas comes and goes, the narrative becomes so familiar, so routine, that our wonder turns into indifference. Our awe into boredom and our songs of worship into mechanical rituals. But praise the Lord, we don't have to stay like that. If that's where we are today, God wants to change our hearts, even right now. One of the Apollo astronauts named James Irwin, one of the astronauts who traveled to the moon, and one of the few people who have walked on land outside of this planet, he experienced this out-of-the-world thing that you and I never will, And yet he never lost his awe of the Christmas story. When asked about his exploits, this is what he said. There's something more important than man walking on the moon. And that is God walking on the earth. Just like God turned Zachariah's doubt into praise by the power of his Holy Spirit, God wants to turn our ho-hum, Merry Christmas attitudes into songs of praise, into hearts filled with thanksgiving. He wants the truth of Jesus' life to burn in us so powerfully that we can't help but share that song with everyone around us. I want us to look now at Zechariah's song of praise to God. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and verses 68 and 69, what Rocky read for us earlier. This here, we are told, was a spontaneous song of prophecy when the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah, and this is the song of prophecy. Verse 68, Zechariah says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, these words are the sort of thing that's easy for us to say and and to hear, and yet it's harder for us to understand. What does he mean by a horn of salvation? Well, a horn of salvation, let's think about this for a moment. Zechariah's song is a song of praise because God has come and redeemed his people. And I want you to take note that Zechariah is praising God for something that hasn't even happened yet. But he is talking about it as though it's already happened. He's speaking about a future event in the present tense. Interesting when we think of that. Have you ever praised God in the present tense for something that hasn't happened yet? Have you ever done that? That's what Zechariah is doing here. He is so confident of what God is going to do that he's thanking and praising him for it now. Isn't that an awesome thing to have that kind of confidence in God's redemption? And so here we see this confidence coming from a man who only nine months earlier had doubted God's angel. When Gabriel had said to him in the temple, you are going to have a son, what was Zechariah's response? How can this be, he says. 
I'm an old man, and my wife is old too. He doubted God, and now here he is, complete confidence. We see here a changed man. It's the sort of change that only God can produce. And so now, take note of this horn of salvation. Here it says the Messiah is going to be a horn of salvation. It's an interesting metaphor. Horns were a symbol of power and of strength. Now, all of the strongest animals in the region had horns. The ox, the bull, the ram, they all have horns. And I suspect that some of you here may have had close encounters in the past with horns on an animal at one time or another. (laughs) Chances are there are those of you who have experienced that. Now, there's an old saying that goes along with that. Uh, You mess with the bull, you get the horns. (laughs) Has anyone ever got the horns before? (laughs) I think some of you have messed with bulls before. I know that for a fact. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. I once watched a documentary on rodeo clowns. Now, if you want to pick a hazardous occupation, rodeo clowns is about the top of the list. Or most stupid occupations, one or the other. But rodeo clowns has got to be near the top of that list. And in this documentary, I saw multiple different camera shots and footage of these clowns literally getting the horns. And one of these clowns showed a massive scar running up his side where he had actually been impaled by a bull's horn. Right in his side, he had this huge scar where he had actually been impaled. And they didn't even show the footage because it was too graphic. Quite simply, a bull is a powerful animal that you don't want to mess with. So at first glance, when we think of horns, we think of something dangerous. We think of something powerful. We wouldn't necessarily think of a horn as being a symbol of salvation because it's, it's something that symbolizes, uh, in a sense, strength that can be turned into strength of violence. But the switch happens when we consider that they would use a horn as a type of flask for holding oil. So when the horn had been cut off of the bull, it was used as a, as a container to hold oil. And they would often have a piece of leather or something over top of it to hold whatever they had inside. And it was often used for holding oil. The oil was then used as a symbolic act to anoint people for healing or to anoint them for a specific task, such as being a priest or a king. They would take this horn filled with oil and anoint them by pouring it over their head. This act of the oil flowing down the person's head symbolized God's mercy covering them. And so Zechariah was saying that from a source of incredible power, God's salvation was being poured out on them through the Messiah, born in the line of David. He would have the power to save the nation of Israel from their oppressors, but in that power, he would show mercy. And so here we see the power to show mercy, symbolized through the horn of salvation. He would have the power to save the nation of Israel from their oppressors. But most importantly, he had the power to conquer the greatest enemies of all, sin and death. There are plenty of people in history who have been great warriors, going out to defeat their enemies and liberating people and nations from those who would oppress them. But none before Christ or after Christ has been able to defeat the greatest enemy of mankind, sin and death. 
No one else has been able to. And every last one of us dies. And the Bible says that after our physical death, there is a second death, which is coming for all of those who are lost in their sin, for those who have rejected God's way. Every single person on this earth has sinned, and as such, we are facing this second death. The scripture makes it clear that no one avoids this. No one has gone without sin. We are all sinners. Every last one of us has sinned. And so as we think of this enemy of sin, it affects every last one of us. Because each of us faces the consequences of it. The second death. It is the ultimate enemy. And we can do nothing to escape it, let alone defeat it. To do so would take incredible power. Power that we do not have. We would have to be able to live a perfect life. We would have to have the power to submit perfectly to the will of God in all things and not deviate from it a single time in action or even in thought. Who of us has that power? Who of us to this point in our lives has lived up to that standard? Not one of us. It is simply impossible. And so we need someone more powerful than us to defeat this enemy of sin. This is who Zechariah is pointing to. The one who has the power, the Messiah, the Son of God, who would willingly come to offer his life as a perfect sacrifice to bring this redemption, this mercy to all mankind. And so the question has to be asked, why? Why would he do it? Why would he go to such great lengths? Luke chapter 1, verses 72 and 74 continues Zechariah's song. To show mercy to our fathers... And to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. You ever thought about this? You didn't deserve rescuing. And neither did I. We always like to think, yeah, but I'm worth it. I deserve it. No, you don't. You don't deserve it. Not not one of us deserved rescuing. To have God leave the throne of heaven to enter this world as a baby. We didn't earn it. We certainly hadn't done anything to to be rewarded in such a way. Not one of us has. But yet God reached out in his grace and mercy to offer us forgiveness for our sins. God offers salvation because he is a father who loves his children and wants, desires to show them mercy. We can do nothing to earn it. It is a gift. And the second reason he offers salvation is to keep his word, as we see here. You see, God promised long ago that he would offer a blessing to all nations through his servant Abraham. And so when he made that covenant with Abraham, God planned on keeping his word. And we see here the oath he swore to our father Abraham is now being fulfilled. Even thousands of years after he made that covenant with Abraham... God was still keeping his promise. He would keep his word. He would send the horn of salvation to seek and to save the lost. And friends, I want you to make no mistake about it. That is us, the lost. You and me. We are the ones who needed saving. And don't let being raised in a Christian family or church attendance fool you into thinking otherwise. Because as good as those things are, those things can't save you. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. 
There's a story from the early 1930s that I'd like to share with you where some elephant handlers in the country of Burma where they use elephants for everything. They're like the, the Mack truck, the dump truck, the pickup truck of that jungle country of Burma. And in the 1930s, these elephant handlers suddenly heard screams coming from a nearby riverbank. And immediately they knew, hearing these screams, that something was wrong. And so they ran towards the sound coming from the bank of the river. And they looked down from the top over the edge of the steep riverbank to see one of their work elephants, one of their best work elephants, named Mashway. And this mother elephant was caught in the middle of a river which was rapidly rising as a flash flood was coming through. And the terrified screams were coming from Moshway's calf. The mother elephant could still touch the bottom of the river. With her feet firmly planted in the mud, she then used her trunk to wrap around her calf and keep the calf held tightly to her side. And as the river continued to rise and the current got stronger... Each time the terrified calf started to get washed away, Ma Shui would reach out with her trunk and pull the calf back to her side. And the elephant handlers were watching this unfold beneath them, helplessly, as the waters continued to rise. And soon Ma Shui could no longer hold her footing, and her calf was swept away from her reach in the raging torrent. But undeterred, Ma Shui plunged downstream, and 50 meters later she caught up with the calf. She pinned her calf against the steep riverbank with her head, and then in a mighty effort, she lifted it up with her trunk, and rearing up on her hind legs, she placed her calf on this rocky ledge a meter and a half above the water. With her calf safe for the moment, the exhausted mother fell back into the torrent and disappeared downstream. Well, now the elephant handlers turned their attention to the calf, They felt helpless as they watched it shivering on this narrow ledge two and a half meters below them. For half an hour, they stood there wondering how they could possibly rescue this calf when all of a sudden they heard the sound of an elephant mother's trumpet call. Somehow she had escaped the flooded river, managed to climb up the muddy bank, and was now charging back upstream to find her missing calf. When the calf heard the mother's call, you could see the ears perk up, listening. And suddenly Moshe appeared from a bush on the other side of the river. Then having seen that her calf was still safe on the ledge where she had left it, she set up guard and sat there watching through the night. When the river finally began to subside and the waters were going back down, she had decided it had gone down far enough and she plunged back into the river lifted her calf down off the ledge and took it to safety. And like that helpless calf, we too need rescuing. We need to be rescued from the raging torrent of sin and death that threatens to wash us away into an eternity without hope. We need to be forgiven. We need a horn of salvation that can come to defeat sin and death We need to be redeemed, changed, and adopted as children of the Heavenly Father. Every last one of us needs a strong and mighty Savior who is able to hold us close to his side through the turbulence of this life, who can lift us to a place of safety and rest that is secure 
for today, for tomorrow, and most importantly, for eternity. Jesus is that Savior. He is a mighty Savior who is able to do all of this and more. And Christmas time, this time of year, is another glorious opportunity that we have to proclaim to the world our salvation has come. We are not waiting for it any longer. He has already done this. He has done it in me, and I pray he has done it in you. Is your heart full of thanksgiving for what God has done? Are you singing a song of praise? In verses 74 and 75, Zechariah continues to say that this rescue enables us to serve him without fear. There's no fear in serving God any longer. There's no fear of of consequences, of, of damnation. There's no fear of hell. There's no fear of death. It has been done away with when salvation has come. We can now serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. You know, I have been blessed to experience a lot of amazing things in my life. I have jumped dirt bikes 75 feet through the air and somehow not killed myself. I have won sports trophies. I have gone bungee jumping and skydiving. Those are some of the things I've done putting my life on the line for no apparent reason. I have had other amazing things happen in my life. I have met and married my best friend. We have been able to spend eight plus years together already, and I keep thanking God for this amazing partner in my life. We have been blessed to welcome not one but two healthy baby boys into this world. Two of the cutest baby boys that God's ever made. And don't even bother trying to argue with me on that. (laughs) And I could go on and on and list all of the amazing things that I've experienced in this life that I've been blessed by, that I didn't deserve, but I've just received them. And I can list and name each one of those things and say that as exciting and as fulfilling each one of those things has been in its own unique way, I'm telling you the truth. I have experienced nothing better in this world than having a personal relationship with God. Nothing. Holding my son for the first time is a profound moment. But even that, in comparison to having a relationship with God, there is nothing like it. There is nothing that thrills me more than to know my sins are forgiven. They are done. There is no more fear. I can serve God in freedom, in righteousness, in holiness all of my days. I have complete confidence that He is my Father and I am His child. And within this relationship, there is no fear for the rest of my life, and I would not trade that peace for anything in this world. I would not. The peace that I have in knowing that I am God's child, it's changed everything, and it's the best thing that there is in this life. And so I want to tell you today that if you think there's something more fulfilling out there than having a relationship with God, than walking with Him, I can tell you, I haven't found it if there is. I've done a lot of cool things, and God's blessed me with a lot of things, but nothing compares to being able to walk with God. And if you're still looking for something else other than God, 
I'm going to tell you right now, save you the time and effort. It's futile. God is what you're looking for. Seek Him. It's the relationship with Him that will give you peace and meaning that you can't find anywhere else. It's in Him. And Zechariah points to that in his song. And then he finishes off his song of praise by now turning after praising, praising God and saying what he's doing as though it was already finished. He now turns to his newborn son, his son John, the son that was promised to him by the angel Gabriel. In verse 76, we read this as he turns his attention to his son. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You see, John the Baptist, as he would come to be known, John was the prophet who would prepare the way for the horn of salvation. He would prepare the way so that people could gain knowledge of Christ, so that their sins could be forgiven. And lastly, Zechariah closes with a wonderful image of what Christ will do for the world. He describes him in verses 78 and 79 as a rising sun. Literally, a rising up of light, which will come from heaven. He says, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Many people this Advent, this Christmas are still living in the shadow of darkness. Many, many people are still living without this peace, without this hope, and these may well be your friends. These may well be your family members or your next-door neighbors. There are people who still need the light of Christ. There are people who right now are thinking, you know what, next year doesn't look so good. There's a great deal of uncertainty for a lot of people, and life just seems dark and depressing. And there are even more people that are living without this eternal hope, living in darkness. And they're just plodding along, trying to get whatever enjoyment out of this life that they can, but ignorant of what is awaiting them after their death. They're living in the shadow of death, eternal death, the second death. And Christ came to shine his light on those people Just like us, living in darkness without hope, he wants to bring people into his peace that only he can give through his son, the Lord Jesus, so that the shadow of death, maybe this Christmas, can be removed from their lives, from their souls, not just for today, but for eternity. We often talk about peace at Christmas time, but think of it as much more than just a quiet, relaxing day or a contented stomach. That's not the kind of peace the Bible is talking about here. It's not just talking about when everything's not hectic. It's talking about something much more. The peace that is talked about in the Bible as it relates to Christmas and the coming of our Messiah is all about bringing God's peace into this world by restoring a right relationship with Him, and that peace happens on the inside. It begins on the inside. It's not something that happens in our external circumstances. It's not just when everything stopped buzzing around us and the world's, you know, not fighting anymore. It starts within. The peace he brings comes within our hearts. 
And so it begins with a restored relationship with God. But how will the relationship be restored? How can it be restored in others? What part can we play? Well, I want to tell you today that people still need a Zechariah. People still need someone who are so thankful and overjoyed for what God's done for them that they spontaneously sing songs of praise. In such a way that everyone says, wow, what is happening here? I don't understand, but something awesome, something amazing is happening in his life. And word spreads. People start to pay attention. People still need a Zechariah. And people still need a John the Baptist. People need someone who will prepare the way for the Lord Jesus in their life. Someone who will sow the seeds to prepare that heart to receive his salvation for themselves. This is what we are called to do, my friends. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, If you are in Christ, this applies to you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Think about that one for a moment. Zechariah was a priest. You are too. If you are in Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That is our job description right there, my friends. That is us, and that is what we are called to do. Has God called you out of darkness? Then declare his praises. It's as simple as that. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God is calling each one of us to do that this Christmas. The horn of salvation has come. And there are plenty of people out there who need to hear that. Plenty of people who need the light of Jesus Christ to shine in their lives this Christmas time. So let's take that light today as we go. Let's shine that light wherever we are and sing the song. The horn of salvation has come. Forgiveness is here. Will you receive Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome you again in a fresh and new way. Oh Lord, thank you for shining your light on us. Thank you that the horn of salvation has been poured out. We have received your mercy. That you are the only one who is powerful and mighty to save. The one who can purchase us redemption by the high cost of your own shed blood. And so thank you, Lord, that we are right with you and can be at peace with you. And Father, I just want to pray right now, if there is anyone here this morning who in their heart knows that they have not yet made this decision to receive your mercy and grace, Lord, would you speak to their heart right now that today can be the day where they receive you, that your light will shine in their life and they can be at peace with you. Oh Lord, I pray that you would bless that. And Father, I pray for anyone here who has made that decision But Lord, they know that they are searching elsewhere for fulfillment in this life. Searching for peace and meaning somewhere else other than you. And coming up short. Coming up empty. Oh Lord, would you turn their hearts to you? Would you help them to see that peace and purpose and fulfillment in this life can only come from you? Would you help them to live their lives fully for you, Lord? And now I pray that you would bless this church. 
Bless the light and the witness that we have. Oh, Father, would you put a new song in our hearts that we would sing your praises in such a genuine, authentic way that people would pay attention this Christmas. Help us to make the most of this opportunity that we have to point people to you, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.